Last week in our story, we met Samuel. He was working as an assistant to the priest, to the priest Eli, and we learned from that that he was having his first conversation with the Lord. He was hearing God for the first time, and we talked about the importance of listening for God's voice. And I mentioned last week that at this point in Israelites' history, that the 12 tribes of Israel had settled in the Promised Land, and that they were operating as closely knit tribal nations. And I mentioned that when the people would feel oppressed by the neighboring nations, that God would rise up for them a military leader whom we would call a judge. Now Samuel is the last judge of Israel. And when we come to Samuel today, we find out that the king Saul has been rejected by God. But, but how did we get from a king to a king from a judge? Well, while Samuel was a judge, the people would complain a lot. And they would say, well, everybody else has a king. We want a king. That was their reasoning. Everybody else had one. We want one. And the Lord would say, you really don't. Because kings are going to tax you and they're going to take your young boys off to war. And besides, I am your king, the Lord would say. God wanted to be the people's king, but the king, the people were telling Samuel, no, 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 we want a king. So can you imagine how Samuel would feel? He was the God-chosen, appointed leader over Israel, and they're telling him, we want a king. Samuel felt dejected. But that's not all. Because God relents and God does choose a king named Saul to be the first king of the United Israel. But then God tells Samuel to go and anoint Saul. So Samuel is having to anoint his successor as the leader over Israel. Awkward. In our passage today, God has now rejected Saul as king. But why? Why would God do that? Why would God choose Saul and then later reject Saul? Well, it was because God had given Saul some instructions and said, you got to do this, 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 and this, and Saul only did this, but not that. He didn't do everything that God had told him to do. But Saul was being held to a higher standard because he was the leader of the people. And if he was not going to be completely obedient, then we couldn't expect the people to be obedient, and so God has decided, nope, Saul, you're done. So then God goes back to Samuel and says, now I want you to anoint the guy who's going to replace Saul, and so God is asking Samuel to commit treason, to anoint the successor to the king while the king is still on the throne. And God tells Samuel to go to Jesse, and then each of the sons come by and with each one, the Lord is telling Samuel, no, not that one. Not that one. Until finally we get down to the last one. He's the youngest. He's a shepherd. And his name is David. And he will become the second king of Israel. I recently binge-watched a network original series called The Crown. Anybody like The Crown? Anybody seen The Crown? Nobody? Oh dear. Okay. The Crown. The first season of The Crown just, just finished up last year, and I'm very excited the second season is coming. 
in December. The crown follows, the first season follows the earliest years of Queen Elizabeth II's reign. And we learn in this series, The Crown. Now, I don't know exactly how accurate The Crown is because a lot of this is between the royal family behind closed doors, and so we don't know exactly how that went. But the public part in this in this miniseries does match history. And we learn from this that Queen Elizabeth, first of all, was not supposed to be the leader of England. If you remember right, it was King Edward VIII who was supposed to reign, who was supposed to be king. He was supposed to get married. He was supposed to have kids. And they were supposed to reign, but instead Edward VIII gave up his throne. He abdicated. He abdicated. And then his younger brother would become King George VI, which then set Elizabeth up to become the queen. And so initially, as a young child, no one thought that she would be the queen of England. We also learn in the crown that she feels ill-prepared. For this world, she feels ill-equipped to have conversations with world leaders and politicians because she just doesn't feel like she can have conversations with them. She doesn't feel feel matched with them, and so she asks for a tutor to be hired. And we learn in that conversation with the tutor that Queen Elizabeth didn't go to school to learn the usual subjects: mathematics, science, philosophy. She was never trained in those. She was trained in the Constitution. French, and proper table manners. That's what she was trained in, and so now she feels outmatched, and so she seeks a tutor to help fill in the blanks. She would much rather have conversations about dogs, horses, and faith, because those are the things that are important to her. That's what she knows. And I watched a documentary that was made for her 90th birthday, and this we know she loves corgis. She's had a lot of corgis, but she was able to train those corgis at a very young age. She is adept at training those dogs. Each one knows how to react to her. So in watching The Crown and in this documentary, I see a lot of similarities between Queen Elizabeth II of England and King David of Israel. Neither one was supposed to be a ruler. Others were more obvious choices. Both felt ill-equipped for the job at the time of their anointing, but skills that they needed. Both have a heart for God and both have a way with animals. Both would go on to have successful reigns and both would be loved by the people. I think all of us can relate to the idea of feeling ill-equipped at times of feeling ill-equipped for the tasks that are before us. A challenge will rise up that we have to face, and we feel like, I don't know how to do that. Maybe we seek out a mentor. Maybe we seek out some special training. But I think we can all relate to this idea of feeling ill-equipped. I would say that young Devin has gone through this recently. When the email came across from the city of Levon about the fall festival, I contacted Devin and asked him if he wanted to have a booth at the fall festival, and he readily said yes, but I'm not sure he knew exactly what he was signing up for. I'm not sure he knew exactly that, but I think that he learned some things in the process. First of all, he learned the very valuable lesson that when a child asks for candy, you're going to get more than if the pastor asks for it, right? Right? I think he also learned some of the materials that are at the church's availability to invite people to come to church. 
And I think Devin learned a little bit about what it is just to simply to love on people, just to give kids candy. That's just love. That's all it is. But I think that Devin also, at least I hope you learned, that this church has your back. He learned that. Because several of you stopped by to tell him how proud you were of him. His booth looked great. His, he did a great job on that booth. It looked fantastic. It was welcoming and scary at the same time. He did great with his booth. But we brought you candy and we came by to check on you and make sure that he was doing well. He did a great job. He represented this church well. He did. And I am very proud of him. I think he did a great job. But I don't know if he knew exactly what he was getting in for initially. You might not have known exactly, but you got there. You got there. You learned. You learned what you did. I think for most of us, the idea of being ill-prepared for something hits us the hardest when it's something we feel God is calling us to. When we feel it's something that God is calling us to do. But when we look at characters like Samuel and David and others in Scripture, we learn God chooses whom God chooses. He may choose the younger one, the conniving one, the humble one, the broken and the hurt one. But in each case, God will also equip that person with what they need to see their task through. God equips those whom God chooses. So in those moments in our lives, when we feel ill-equipped for what God is calling us to, we can rest assured God's going to back it up with what we need to see it through. It may not look like what we asked for. It may not look like what we hoped for. It may not look like what we prayed for. But God is going to equip us to see it through. In our story of Samuel, as each son is brought forward, Scripture says that the Lord said, nope, not that one. Don't look on the outward appearance. The Lord sees what the Lord sees. The Lord sees does not see as mortals see. For they look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So don't judge Jesse's sons based off outward appearance. Don't judge a, judge a book. Don't judge a book by its cover. Great job, Connor. Great job. Although now it's broken my train of thought. <laughs> Hang on just a sec. In these words, the Lord challenged Samuel to not look at the outward appearance. And at the same time, the Lord challenges us. The Lord challenges us not to look on the outside. If we look at what's been happening in our country right now, there is a mirror being held up in front of our faces. Because if we think that we have the race issue under control, we don't. We don't. We don't get it. We are still judging each other based off skin color, the country where we were born, the language that we speak, and the accent that we have. This week in social media, women have been coming forward by the droves to say, yes, I've been sexually harassed or sexually assaulted. We are still judging each other based off gender, based off faith, our denominations of our faith, by society-imposed status, by our cars, our homes, our jobs, our political affiliation. We are still judging each other when God says, don't look at the outward appearance. And we're still doing it. So how are we supposed to look at each other? We have a tendency to judge and ask questions later. If we ask questions at all. 
So what does it mean to look on the heart? I think it's absolutely impossible to look at someone's heart unless you're in relationship with them. I think we have to be in relationship with each other in order to get to know each other. And that takes time. It takes time. It takes purpose. It takes... Because we have to spend time with each other. We have to have conversations in which we ask intelligent questions and then actually listen for the answers. I think it means a willingness to go deeper in our relationships, a, a willingness to be vulnerable to someone else, and a willingness to get past that surface, to get to know each other. And in this day of worldwide communications, texting, email, and social media, we have this false sense that we know each other when we don't. And sadly, that's what we would rather have. A face-to-face conversation that just can't be matched. Simply being in someone's presence cannot be matched. But because we don't do that the way we should, we see the damage in our families. We see it in our relationships in our friendships, in our churches, in our country, and in the world. Two years ago, this church crafted a vision statement that says Community UMC builds relationships with those who need to know that someone cares. Two Saturdays ago, when we were doing our Dreams and Goals workshop together, Dave started by asking each of us, does this vision still apply? And each one of us said, yes, this is still the vision of this church. Those two words, builds relationships, were chosen with great care. Great care was taken for those two words because it means that we're going to step out of our comfort zone and we're going to be in relationships with people we might not know otherwise. At Seven Loves East, we are now seeing those relationships being built. We're calling families by name when they come. Now we're learning about their lives, about their needs, And when they're not here, we miss them. And there were two Seven Loves East families at the Fall Festival yesterday, and two of those children ran right up to us. And when we do a mission of the month, we don't randomly pick what items we're asking people to donate. We actually place a phone call. We call, and we ask, what are your needs right now? And we're just that little bit is getting to know those individuals a little bit better. And we're learning. We're not assuming what those needs are. Building relationships also works in here. Here in this space, with each other. A friend of mine is a pastor of a church in this area, and she has, and it's, it's slightly larger than ours. They have, they have a few more in worship, but it's not a big church at all. It's still a small church. And she tells me that the members of that church don't know each other's name. And what's worse, they don't make the effort to learn each other. Now, I can understand those senior moments when we just, the name slips out of our heads, but at least we make the effort to get to know each other. I don't think I'm saying out of turn that when a new face comes through that door, they are greeted with warmth. And it's not a fake warmth. It's a sincere, a sincere warmth that we want to know each other. One of the values that came to light in our dreams and, and goals workshop, I'm sorry, Chris, you're just like dodging behind Jean's head there. One of the values that came up came up with our Dreams and Goals workshop was that, that we place value on strengthening the church family. Well, that happens by building relationships, does it not? Getting together, having conversations, getting to know one another, 
contacting each other during the week, being face-to-face with each other. That's how you strengthen the church family, and that is building relationships. David was chosen by God, not because of the way he looked, not because of his education or his pedigree, not because he was going to win a popularity contest. David was chosen by God because God looked on David's heart. And what God saw was a heart for the Lord. We see in the stories of David and we see in the Psalms that he a true desire to be in tune with God, to love God, to be in relationship with God, and to be obedient with God. That's why God chose David. And that challenges us to have a heart for the Lord. God calls us to have a heart like Jesus does. To love in a sacrificial way with each other. God calls us to care for one another, to stop judging, and to love first. Imagine if we loved first before we judged someone else. Imagine if if the world worked that way. So I think what we gain from this story of Samuel and, and God choosing David, the young one, the shepherd, the unexpected, the ill-equipped, the ill-prepared, is because of that heart, having the heart of God. Now, we may not feel equipped for that task, to love others first. But remember that God equips those whom God chooses. So if God calls us to love first, then God's going to equip us to love first. And God equips us with the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. See beyond the outward experience and love as Christ loves. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.